For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Dr. Shannon's? Shane's, yes. Shane's, hi. Hi. Um, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Uh, we're just waiting on... Uh, on Jeff, yeah. Yeah, on Jeff. <laughs> um, yeah, he's coming. He's going to call in. Um, is my? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you great, actually. Okay, great. Where are you uh, located? Uh, ASCP is here in Chicago, and I'm local. Um, I'm, in, I'm in Lakeview. Yeah, I'm in Lakeview, actually, right next to, um, I'm really close to the uh, Belmont-Lincoln-Ashland intersection. Okay. Are you, uh, are you in the city, or? Yeah, yeah, we're at Northwestern right here. So. Yeah, I was gonna say, how's it, how is it down there today? Are you at the office? I am. Yeah, Jeff is not. He he um, was going to come in, and then they completely closed Lakeshore Drive, and he was just like, not even. <laughs> right, right. Got down. Yeah, I went to, um, I was kind of reading some chatter on um, Nextdoor, and I guess that, um the alderman's offices are like calling all the businesses and stuff like, Hey, we think there's going to be, you know, like protest up on the North side. And by protest, I think probably more rioting up here. Right. Um, right. You know, so like I, I did like a, I was going to go to the grocery store anyway this afternoon, but I did a kind of like a panic grocery store run. Um, yeah. You know, and the, yeah. Whole, the whole foods is boarded up and I'm like, dude, I just gotta make sure I have wine and coffee. <laughs> you know. Everything's boarded. I, so I like, you know, go back routes just to get in this morning, and everything is all boarded up, and it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's a little freaky. Interesting times we live in, as they say. It's bizarre, sort of apocalyptic feeling. It, you know, it it really sort of is. I mean, I was with like the pandemic stuff. I was just kind of starting to get my like. Uh, feet underneath me a little bit like okay yeah this is the new normal um that sort of thing and Saturday night it was just like oh wait no this is actually really bad um yeah I've got yeah. friends I've got friends that live uh they have a condo on the 11th floor of the building like right in the middle of the loop she's at uh, five north Wabash wow. and um yeah we're uh I'm on a group text with her and some other friends and she was like keeping us updated on everything that was happening and she's like yeah, this is like po post-apocalyptic scary. So, yeah, the loop's um, all Yeah, the loop is. Yeah, she sent pictures from like, she went out and walked her dog the next morning and she sent us pictures. And it's like, wow, that's, that's insane. Yeah. It's like Jeff's coming. Yeah, I, I, yep. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Um, yeah, we're doing okay. We were 
were just discussing the surreality of uh, of living in Chicago right now. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think surreal is just about right. Yeah, yeah, I was just telling her that I've got a girlfriend that lives downtown in the Loop, and she said Saturday night was. Yeah, she still can't quite believe it happened. Yeah, that's yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, well, first off, I want to thank you both for uh, uh, taking the time to record the podcast. I know that uh, you guys are both pretty busy right now, anyway. But especially with this paper, it's kind of kind of hit the news about as much as I expected it to. Uh, so I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, we'll just kind of go. You know, like I'll ask the questions. You can. You guys can answer them. Um, if there's, if you misspeak, you can just say, Hey, I want to do this answer over again and say, say the answer again. I can edit out all the weird stumbles. I can edit out everything that you misspoke about. Um, if, if we say a lot of ums or there's a lot of weird, or if you have like a weird pause or a weird stumble, don't worry about it. I can edit that out. Um, and really the only thing I would remind you is um, to, to speak a little bit more slowly than you think you need to. Uh, so much of, um, so much of communication is, is a visual, but since podcasts are, are clearly an audio medium, um, if you speak a little bit more slowly, people can understand you a little bit better. Um, but that's about, that's about it. Do you guys have any questions before we get started? Nope. No. All right. Excellent. Um, okay. So it's uh, Jeffrey Goldstein, correct? Um, yeah. Actually, and I need to hang up for a second. I need to put you on hold for a second. Oh, sure. Sure. Okay. Um, do you pronounce his name uh, Goldstein or Goldstein? Goldstein. Okay. Goldstein. And you're uh, El Shiva Shanes? Um, you can do Ellie is fine. Okay, Ellie. All right, I'll do that. Uh, I always like to get the pronunciations out of the way before we actually yeah. get started. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm back. I um, my wife was calling. She was helping up and clean up their neighborhood, um, which I guess got some some injury last night. So. Oh, geez. Are you on the west side or? Uh, we're on the north side, but her. Her colleague lives, I want to say, in Inglewood, and um, they had um, a fair amount of just a fair amount of looting, I guess. Uh, and so um, my wife went down there with some cleaning supplies and you know garbage bags and just the tools just to try to, to help out a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, what a time to be alive, guys. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so um, I'll go ahead and get started. And then after I do this little intro, I'll lead right into the first question and then we can just go from there. Sound good? Absolutely. Yep. Perfect. Hello everyone. Welcome to Lab Medicine's podcast series. My name is Kelly Swales and I'm the web editor for Lab Medicine. Joining us today are Drs. Jeffrey Goldstein and Ellie Shane, Dr. Ellie Shanes. Dr. Goldstein is an assistant professor in the Department of Pathology at Northwestern University Fine 
Feinberg School of Medicine, and Dr. Shanes is also an assistant professor at the Department of Pathology at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. They, along with their co-authors, recently published a paper in the American Journal for Clinical Pathology about placental pathology in mothers infected with SARS-CoV-2, and they're joining us today to discuss their work. So my first question is, I want to ask what led to your research on COVID-19 and uh, um, placental damage? Thanks, Kelly, and thank you for having us on. Um, so over the last 10 years, there have been six uh, infections of global concern, so designated by the World Health Organization. Uh, and of those, two of them, H1N1 influenza in 2008-9 and uh, the Zika virus, had a particular effect in pregnant women. So H1N1 uh, causes a more severe disease in pregnant women than uh, women who are otherwise demographically similar. Um, and of course, Zika virus is really known for its stratogenic effects of causing uh, microcephaly um, in fetuses. So when we started hearing news out of uh, Wuhan of um, a potentially novel virus that seemed fairly contagious, we decided that we needed to start thinking about how would we design the research study of a pandemic that came through the United States um, on the assumption that if this one didn't come through, another one would, um, and that there might be a, a particular impact on pregnant women. Um, and so uh, we assembled a, a really um, multidisciplinary research group. So uh, Dr. Shane and I are both pathologists. Um, our co-author, uh, Lena Mittal, is uh, a pediatric infectious disease specialist. Um, and Emily Miller, Dr. Emily Miller, is an obstetrician with a specialty in maternal fetal medicine. And then even within maternal fetal medicine, she's more sub-specialized in infectious disease. Um, and so success really depends on having that core group of people who are able to access the resources in the hospital and coordinate and give us a chance to collect this information in real time or in near real time. So let's talk a little bit about your um, about your actual research, like how I'm going to say that again. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you actually performed your research. Sure. So there are two parts of this paper. Uh, the first part is the um, pathology of patients with coronavirus. And that's very simple. These are uh, placentas that came to our service as part of the normal surgical pathology routine. We wrote our reports and then we simultaneously put them in a database. And when it came time to write the paper, when we felt we had accumulated enough cases, we pulled that data and then sort of categorized the lesions according to um, sort of in, an international consensus that we more or less follow. Um, now, the thing that sort of makes our paper a little bit different is the controls. And what we have is a uh, 
So building on the work of pathologists that were previously in the department and signed out thousands of cases over the previous 10 years, we were able to pull from the electronic medical record over 17,000 placenta reports. Um, and then have a little bit of a sideline in informatics, and so I was able to extract the diagnoses and sort of categorize them in a meaningful way, and then we're able to compare our new cases against not just a, a standard of normal, but against the standard of what we tend to see. So um, let's go a little, let's talk a little bit about what the placenta actually is, uh, what does an, and uh, what analysis of the placenta tells doctors about both the mother and the fetus? So this is a question I really love. Um, so uh, placentas are amazing organs that are the only organs that only exist for a certain part of a person's lifespan. They develop and then they exist for the amount of time, about approximately 40 weeks that they're intended to function. And then they are expelled and no, no longer function as an organ. And so um, they're really remarkable organs. They're also composed, organs which are composed of both um, fetal and maternal genetic material, which is another thing that makes them very unique. Um, the placenta itself is made of fetal uh, genetic material and the maternal um, the maternal blood flow uh, goes through the placenta in order to basically juxtapose, juxtapose maternal and fetal blood very closely together so that you can have a diffusion of nutrients and oxygen. So you can think of the placenta as the fetal lung but also the fetal gut and the fetal kidney, although fetuses also have kidneys that start functioning relatively early. Um, the placenta is important in immune regulation. Um, it really, there's a multitude of functions the placenta has in maintaining a healthy pregnancy. And as such, it really reflects adverse outcomes um, and events that happen in pregnancy. So pathology that we see in the placenta can reflect mater either maternal uh, uh, underlying medical conditions or disease, and it can also reflect fetal conditions. Um, and things that we see in the placenta actually have been correlated with lifelong consequences, both for the mother as well as the offspring, including risks of cardiovascular disease, and the risk of bronchopulmonary dysplasia um, for uh, fetuses, especially uh, babies that are born preterm. Um, there's a lot of correlation with pathology seen in the placenta and cerebral palsy, and even things you wouldn't necessarily expect, like colorectal carcinoma and asthma. So really lifelong consequences um, in health that you can derive information from the placenta um, and then extrapolate into you know, longer uh, lifelong health conditions. You know, that's really interesting uh, to me. I am, uh, I'm a clinical laboratory scientist, not a pathologist, but I don't, I don't know that I knew that the, the placenta was such like a multifunctional uh, organ that you could, you know, learn so much about by examining microscopically. I find that pretty fascinating. 
um, which kind of brings me to my question, uh, kind of about your about your study. Um, what sort of injuries were you guys seeing in the placentas of your subjects? So the finding that we saw in our placentas was the finding of decidual vasculopathy. So we saw um, findings that the maternal blood vessels that are seen in the portion of the placenta that comes in, in contact with the uterus, that those blood vessels were thick, um, they had um, what's called fibrinoid necrosis and atherosis, so they had actually basically histiocytes in them and, and the, the vessels themselves were very unhealthy. Um, and that suggests some type of difficulty in the maternal perfusion of the placenta. So the mother was having some difficulty getting blood into the placenta. Um, the maternal blood vessels are actually, uh, in, uh, they're supposed to be remodeled by the trophoblastic cells of the placenta. The cells that when the placenta, when the um, embryo originally sort of forms an implantation into the uterus, the cells go in and they remodel the maternal vessels and replace the lining, the endothelial lining, with a new lining that allows for much higher, um, for a larger volume of flow and a higher pressure of flow of blood into the placenta. And when there's any issue with that flow, we see that in the form of damage to those vessels. So the biggest, the biggest finding that we had that we you know, we went in not knowing what to expect was a sig significant decidual vasculopathy of those vessels, injury to those vessels. Could that sort of placental injury have a negative effect on uh, mothers delivering a healthy baby? That's a challenging question. This kind of decidual vasculopathy can be seen in severe fetal injuries, including miscarriage. It can be seen um, but as in our case, the, um, most of the infants were born healthy. So out of 16 cases we reported, 15 infants were live born in the third trimester. One of them was delivered premature um, the other 14 all went home within four days of delivery. All 15 infants scored either an eight or nine at one minute or a nine at five minutes, which is the best score on the APGAR, which is a, a brief exam of the infant, sort of a general global sense of how well they're doing. So the short-term outcomes, at least in the live-born infants, are very good. This is one of the this is one of the things that we think about a lot in pathology is that sometimes you can have abnormal morphology, sometimes you can have these injury and have a good outcome, sometimes you can have this injury and have a bad outcome. Um, and as a field, one of the things we're working on is trying to resolve that question. So you talked a little bit about the short-term health, um, about, you know, uh, the short-term health of the babies in question. 
Uh, could this type of placental injury have a long-term effect in mothers or infants? Absolutely. So as Dr. Singh alluded to, uh, placental injury has been linked to things like maternal cardiovascular disease, uh, the risk of cerebral palsy, uh, asthma, um, and other long-term consequences. And pandemic infections have been linked to lifelong consequences. One of the So the 1918-1919 flu pandemic is very much in the news and in people's minds now. Studies done decades later showed that people who were in utero during the peak of that pandemic had higher rates of cardiovascular disease and a lower lifelong income, so low, lower total income over their lifespan. That was specific to people who were in utero, so um, kids that were neonates at that time, kids that were um, conceived a few months later, didn't really show that same effect. And so, again, that, that shows that there can be this lifelong impact of a pandemic on how people are doing. Now, the nature of how time works means that we will not know how um, these kids are doing until much later, perhaps decades later. But I think that the time to start studying them and following up on them is now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You need to start doing like those 80-year studies, right? Like where you follow <laughs> people from birth until death, you need to start that now. <laughs> um. So let's talk a little bit about what you guys found in terms of a possible link between COVID-19 and miscarriage. I have a feeling that the, the studies like yours, that's why they become so popular is because everyone's always afraid of like miscarriages or stillbirths or, you know, we're worried about the babies. And I think that's a really primal thing that we're worried about. So what did you guys find in terms of a possible link? Yeah, Kelly, that's, that's an important question. Our paper reports uh, one miscarriage. Um, it occurred at 16 weeks um, in a woman that was asymptomatic. Um, so we started doing SARS-CoV-2 nucleic acid tests, so swabbing. Um, everyone that came in for delivery or other procedures. Um, so this is someone who is asymptomatic and um, tested positive by the swab. Um, that could be a coincidence. Um, we know that some women will have miscarriages and some women will have coronavirus. And so by coincidence, some women may both have a miscarriage and coronavirus. The sort of way to get out of that trap is to have more cases and to compare to some kind of baseline. And fortunately, at our institution, we have not seen a large number of coronavirus-related miscarriages, um, or miscarriages in women with coronavirus. There are a few published case reports, and my hope is that in the community, or possibly our group, if we have the time, um, can sort of pull those all together 
and try to come up with some kind of some kind of judgment about whether there really is an association. So what was the most surprising finding in your study? Um, so I think the most surprising finding was that in spite of us looking at placentas associated with an infectious disease, we didn't in our cohort see the findings that you might associate with infectious disease, so spe specifically something like chronic phyllitis. Um, there are other infectious diseases that are associated with findings in the placenta, um, like chronic velitis and occasionally acute velitis. Um, but in our case, we actually had our rates of sort of chronic inflammation. So that's lymphocytes and to some degree, potentially histiocytes within the placenta, within the chorionic villi and the intervilla space uh, wasn't increased compared to our very large control population. And in fact, uh, I believe it was actually slightly decreased, but not significantly so. So uh, that was not, you know, I think if we had expected anything going into this and we didn't know what to expect, I think we might have thought, oh, we'll see more of these, this inflammatory pathology within the placenta that we actually didn't see. Um, I will note that there are reports, particularly from these other second trimester miscarriages of women who were acutely ill with COVID-19 at the time of miscarriage that did find um, inflammatory pathology, particularly intervillous um, histiocytic inflammation that we did not see in, in, in our cohort. Um, the women in our cohort were um, infected with SARS-CoV-2 within approximately about a month of delivery up to the time, you know, close to the time of delivery within their third trimester. And so as we go forward, um, you know, there will be more women delivering who had the virus earlier in pregnancy in the first trimester or the second trimester. Um, we'll also, you know, have in more information from, again, more women who maybe were more acutely ill. In our cohort, we had two women who had an oxygen requirement, but no women who were intubated or otherwise were, um, you know, needed ICU care. So uh, we might see more inflammatory pathology, but the surprising thing from that we didn't expect was the actual lack of inflammatory pathology in our cohort. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially in terms of kind of what's being reported in some studies now about how there's just, you know, a lot of inflammation throughout the body um, in some patients with, with uh, COVID-19. Let's talk a little bit about um, further research that's going to be needed now to determine the nature of your findings and to expand on them. That's a, a large category because our areas of ignorance are profound. I think that you and Dr. Shane's touched on one important area, which is the effect of first and second trimester infections. Um, just the nature of our study is that all of our patients were infected in the third trimester. And those patients you know, have a 
if we're concerned about a risk of uh, teratogenesis or miscarriage, those are more likely to happen earlier in pregnancy. And so those studies are going to be um, very important. I think that looking at our cohort, uh, we are not the only people to have published on coronavirus in placenta, so there are the miscarriages that have been reported. It's actually a larger study by um, Rebecca Bergen, I'm probably mispronouncing that, out of New York Presbyterian, uh, who reported 20 patients. And they don't actually see increased rates of decidual vasculopathy as we do. So I think it's going to be important to um, do multi-site studies or incorporate across more populations. One of the things that I have come to regret about the way that we did our study is that we did not include uh, racial and ethnic data. I think that you know, we were all talking before we started recording about the long-standing challenges faced by people of color in our country and the, the sort of cumulative effect of a pandemic that is more severe in communities of color and civil disturbances that are more severe in communities of color. And I think that, you know, that's not something that you frequently see in placenta, or I beg your pardon, that's not something that you frequently see reported in pathology papers, um, whether patients, um, their sort of ethnic and racial background. Um, but that is something that I think is becoming very clear is very important in coronavirus, and that's something that we need to be incorporating moving forward. I think that looking yeah, at... I, go, ahead, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I, was, I, thought, I thought you had finished. I was going to be like, oh, yeah, you make a good point, but no, go ahead. We'll, we'll chop out this part, and you, you go ahead, doctor. Um, sure. So... Um, sort of zeroing in on the the vascular injury that we see, um, this injury pattern is somewhat reminiscent, somewhat reminiscent of the vascular injury that we see in cardiovascular disease, and this injury has been associated with long-term risk of cardiovascular disease um, in the mothers, and so. You know, one question is, does this sort of vascular injury due to coronavirus have the same significance or have the same associations as uh, vascular injury uh, that occurs sort of spontaneously or due to um, metabolic factors? And then that sort of transitions into the final point, uh, the final area that I we think about which would be, you know, does this sort of injury suggest a treatment? Is there a treatment that can be given to women with coronavirus to prevent this sort of placental injury? And that is um, extremely speculative. And I think that um, there's a lot of work to do before we can even start asking that question in an intelligent fashion, but it is something that we need to do. I want to kind of pick up on on uh, some things that both of you have said throughout 
this this podcast. Um, how do you hope this research could be used uh, to help ensure the safety of pregnant women and fetuses during the current pandemic, um, but also during any future pandemics? Like, what are we learning now that we can help future generations with? Well, this is a small study, observational, and so it's very hard to go from what is to what we ought to do about it. I do think that our study supports uh, pregnant women being treated as an at-risk population. So, the country overall is starting to open up, come out of stay-at-home orders. Pregnant women may consider keeping those stay-at-home orders or continuing to social distance, being more vigilant about wearing a mask, hand washing, in order to reduce their risk of infection. Women that are pregnant now, not know that they were going to be giving birth or pregnant in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but as we see infection numbers continue, as we hear people talk about an additional wave in the fall, women who are women and families who are considering fertility, I think that that's a very personal decision. There's a lot of things that go into that. Um, this is going to be one of those things. So what's, uh, what is the next stage for your individual research? So going forward, um, we um, are um, grateful to have additional financial support from uh, Friends of Prentice. So Prentice Women's Hospital is the um, maternal women's hospital here at Northwestern University. And um, we have secured some additional funding from the organization Friends of Prentice to continue to, to do additional research. And so what we've been doing as the entire time as we've gone along, we're also collecting maternal blood as well as cord blood for additional biomarker studies to follow up on these uh, women and babies. Um, and in collaboration, close collaboration with our clinical colleagues, you know, we mentioned this before, but one, one thing that we're going to want to look at is long-term follow-up of these babies as they grow and develop and become children and to see if there is any lasting impact on them from having uh, been exposed to the you know, the in utero environment of um, having a mother infected by SARS-CoV-2. So where can, uh, where can readers find a little bit more information? Well, that, that's a softball. Um, the first place that people can look is they can read our paper in the American Journal of Clinical Pathology. Um, I think that uh, it's also good for people who are interested to read the paper by Bergen and Heller, which was published in Pediatric and Developmental Pathology, called Placental Pathology in COVID-19 Positive Mothers, Preliminary Findings. Um, there are uh, a number of case reports that have been published, uh, which uh, 
are sort of scattered throughout. We reference a couple of them. I think those are probably the, the most significant sources at this moment. Well, Dr. Uh, Goldstein and Dr. Um, sorry, I, let's say that again. Well, Dr. Goldstein and Dr. Shanes, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today about your paper. I always find it's really helpful uh, to talk with the authors of some of our research to really kind of get some context and really go in depth a little bit um, in a way that we can't in, in a uh, in a scientific journal. And so I found all of this very interesting. I think our listeners will as well. And thank you again for taking the time. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, that's it. How, how do you guys feel about it? Okay. Hi. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. You feel myself yeah, flubbing? It's always, what's that? I can feel myself flubbing lines. <laughs> uh, it's always a little difficult, I think, recording this um, just over audio because, um, you know, like I said, you don't get the visual, uh, visual uh, communication cues or whatever, but I think you guys did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get this record or uh, this edited probably tomorrow, and hopefully it'll be on the Lab Medicine website later this week. And when once it's live, I'll um, I'll boost it on Twitter, and I'll be sure and tag you. Uh, okay. Jeff. Thank you. Thank right. you. Well, uh, yep. Again, thanks, and uh, you guys have a good day. You, you too. too. Bye. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.